It's religion today, it's ideology today, and our secularist friends also have a faith. Some kind of Disneyland fantasy. I know how this is going to get heard in the secular world. Where the pseudo-Christian masks are off. That's nonsense, ladies and gentlemen. Apologetics isn't just about giving answers to other people's questions. It's also about learning to question other people's answers or even question the question itself. In a Christian worldview. Well, welcome to Quantum number 247 and a special welcome to Irish listeners. Uh, For some bizarre reason, I have no idea why, there were a lot of listeners from Ireland last week, but you are particularly welcome. Quantum is a podcast that looks at news and views from throughout the world, and sometimes we do a particular theme. We, We do it always from a Christian perspective, but if you are not a Christian, you are very welcome, and we like to get feedback, and we like to get comments, and a lot of the material that I use here is from people sending stuff in. So, what I want to do is, well, I'll tell you what, let's play a bit of music first. Guns and Roses, Sweet Child of Mine. It's a song about the innocence of childhood, and I absolutely love it as a song. I just, this is a great song. It's an absolute classic. Um, and we're going to look at children in the world, particularly children in uh, the the Western world, and how childhood is being taken away. Now you may think that this next piece of music uh, really has nothing to do with children, but listen to a bit of it anyway, first of all. Some of you will recognise it, those of you who are old punks or new ones. That is the Sex Pistols, uh, Anarchy in the UK, I Am an Antichrist. Why are you hearing that on a Christian podcast? Because, for two reasons. The number one is that, yeah, anarchy, anti-Christ, anti-the teaching of Christ, 
causes enormous harm to children. I really do feel that. I feel absolutely that it's the children who suffer the most. Now, I also wanted to play that song because of an extraordinary couple of articles, one from my friend Steve McAlpine, but from secular outlets as well, which looked at uh, John Lydon. He was uh, known as Johnny Rotten. And uh, Lydon was actually the most talented member of the Pistols. He's also a very brave guy in many ways. He was the guy who outed Jimmy Savile on national TV. Many people in the BBC knew that Savile was a pedophile, or at least suspected it, and did nothing. But Lydon said it out loud, and the BBC did nothing about it until Savile was dead. Now, in terms of his wife, what is extraordinary about that is that he was married to Nora Forster for 44 years, and his attitude in terms of caring for her was was really quite remarkable. I, I was just stunned by reading. She was she was very ill, and he he really did care for her. And this is his reason for doing so. He said, when I make a commitment, it's forever. And I stand by that. And I'm very proud to do the best I can for her. What's an illness between true friends, man and wife, lovers, whatever you want to call it. We are a proper pair of people who love and adore each other. I don't take commitments lightly. I don't treat fellow human beings as tools of my trade. So there you go. I'm a loyalist at heart. I forgive Leiden a lot of things for that. that. That line... I don't treat fellow human beings as tools of my trade. We live in an era when children are being treated like that. So let's think about caring for children. We, that, Leiden was caring for his wife. Let's think about caring for children and how we do so. Here's Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young. You who are on the road must have a code that you can live by and so become yourself because the past is just a goodbye teach your children well their father's hell did slowly go by and feed them on your dreams The one they picked The one you know by Don't you ever ask them why If they told you you would cry So just look at them and sigh And know they Teach your children well. Now, the, the whole basis of uh, this week's podcast came from an article I read by Rod Little in The Spectator on state provision childcare. Now, the, the Tories in the UK are going to up that, and everyone, of course, everyone says it's a really good idea. You, yeah, Little says this. It was a, it's a brilliant article. I won't read it all to you, but here's some of it. You'll never hear anyone argue against state provision childcare. 
They may say we can't afford to pay for it, but they never question the aspiration, the desirability of everyone to enjoy free or cheap childcare. And he says, this is a shibboleth that you cannot question, and then goes on to question it. Um, He's saying that the Chancellor, Jeremy Hunt, in the UK has just announced a childcare revolution, giving parents 30 hours of free childcare, says Little, for brats from nine months and over. Um, Hunt's purpose is to try and get women back into the workplace. And Little gives two objections. He says, firstly, the Chancellor, like everyone else, it seems, believes that the thing stopping mums from returning to work is simply the cost of having their kids looked after. That may be true in many cases, but it may not be the only or even the main reason. They may may wish to be mothers. They may enjoy bringing up their children. And dare I say it, they may even feel it's a kind of calling to do so, which, of course, says he, scientifically it is. Many women, I know this because I've spoken to some, feel horribly torn between the societal pressure to be go-getting career-minded chicks and another more elemental pressure to be a full-time mother. The pursuit of both callings is almost always a chimera because something has to give and no amount of free daycare will alter that. You are either there or you are not. Now that's true. But it was the next thing that got to me. His, his, His main objection... He says, nobody is asking what effect this will have on the kid. Not a single news report mentions this. And he cites a report in 1997 of the regional government in Quebec, which announced a five-day-dollar-a-day universal daycare policy for all parents, making daycare incredibly cheap. But the Institute for Family Studies did a report and found this out. By the age of four and a half, extensive hours in daycare predicted negative social outcomes in every area, including social competence, externalizing problems, and adult-child conflict, generally at a rate three times higher than other children. Family economic status, maternal education, quality of childcare, and caregiver closeness did not moderate these effects. And they then went on to say that these effects continued all the way through school until by age 15, any extensive hours before age four and a half in any type of non-relative care predicted problem behaviours, including risk-taking behaviours such as alcohol, tobacco and drug use, stealing or harming property, as well as impulsivity in participating in unsafe activities, even after controlling for daycare quality, socio and economic background and parenting parenting quality. Now, I'm not saying children send, parents shouldn't send their children to daycare. But I am saying that if you are going to take children from their parents and put them in daycare for the most of their waking hours, there is highly likely to be a detrimental effect. Think of the children. And then I heard this amazing interview. We've got a lot of clips today, so I apologize if this is going to go on a bit long. But there was an interview that Dr. John Campbell did on trigonometry. Now, Dr. John Campbell has millions of followers on YouTube because of his ability to analyze data around COVID. And he talked a lot of people through COVID. He has changed his views on some things, uh, which itself is fascinating. But after this, I think it was an hour and 15 minute discussion on COVID, he's asked by the hosts, what's the one thing you want to say? Listen to this. 
Let me give you one. Um, the sanctity of human life. When does life begin? When should life end? And to what degree should we be interfering with these processes? Because if there's anything important about being human, if there's anything noble about being human, if there's anything important about civilization, it is how it treats the weakest members of that civilization. You know, sometimes I get sick and I'm weak. And thankfully, so far, my wife has not taken that as an opportunity to come and kill me because I'm in a weakened situation. You know, the, the essence of humanity is that we look after each other. You know, we could call that love if you want to. We look after each other. And my main condition, we could argue about all the, the political correct things. And I think there's issues there. I think there is probably issues with mass insanity for various things going around the world. I think that's there. But the prime thing is, are we losing sight of how important human beings are, that we are somehow unique and special? And we need to refocus on the sanctity of human life, deciding when it begins and when it ends, that it's not something to chuck around at my convenience or your convenience. It has intrinsic, infinite value. I was stunned. I really was. I was sitting with Annabelle. We we're having a meal listening to it, actually. And, and uh, I was just stunned. I thought, wow, because that's true. When does life begin? When does it end? And should we be interfering with this? And how we deal with the sick and the weak? And his talks about the intrinsic, infinite value, the sacredness of human life. I'm beginning to wonder if Dr. John is a Christian. Um, but he's absolutely spot on. You know, we think about abortion, taking the life. There's no question at all. He goes on in that program, by the way, to discuss a bit that there's no question that human life begins at conception. But he talks about end of life as well. And I came across this article, which chills me. Parents in the Netherlands will now be able to euthanize their terminally ill children if they've run out of treatment options under new relaxed voluntary death laws. Between the ages of 1 and 12, you can euthanize your own children. If they're, if they're dying or if you think there's nothing that can be done for them. Of course, it won't stop there. It never does stop there, does it? It will continue. And then, well, let's hear a bit of Jethro Tull. I'll take you down to that bright city mile That's about your sweet face And paint on a smile that will show Join my experience. 
That's a, a great song from a great album, War, War Child. Um, and I think, think of the children just now in Sudan, where two of the most senior generals, one in charge of the army, one in charge of special forces, they both of them overthrew the interim democratic government a year and a half ago. And now they're fighting each other and planes are bombing homes in Khartoum. It's, it's the children who get caught up in the war that it's so devastating. Think again of Ukraine and what's happening in Ukraine. The heartache for the children. Okay, let's think about education. Here's what's going on. This is going on all over the Western world. Here's an example from a school in England. You don't have a choice whether or not you learn about LGBTQ plus in a school. You don't have a choice. It's one of our values, the British values. And if you refuse to do it, that will be dealt with severely. Why would I care if, you, if anyone in this room wants to love somebody? Whether it's to be a man or a woman. Why would I care if someone wants to say, do you know what, I'm, I don't know if I'm, if I'm more male or female. I, I'm, I'm exploring. Why does that matter to me? And if there are people sat here who don't agree with what I'm saying, you need to go home and have a conversation with your parents and say, why are my values so different to what, the, what Britain is? Why, am, why, why have I got this view? Where does it come from? The only thing that you can be taken out of is sex education. And that is from your, when your parents speak to me and get permission. Nobody in this room has, has done that. LGBTQ is not sex education. That is relationships. That is a teacher bullying his pupils. You don't have a choice to learn about LGBTQ. It's one of our values. And if you refuse to do it, you'll be dealt with severely. And he's saying, these are Britain's values. Here we have teachers indoctrinating children into their values. Um, I don't think they're Britain's values, if Britain has any values at all. And then there's, there's been some extraordinary reporting on sex education in schools. And we warned about this and people said we were crazy. But now this is all coming out. This article in The Telegraph said this. Imagine you attend a training course at work. Your manager stands up and begins a PowerPoint presentation. He proceeds to show you and your colleagues a series of explicit images and graphic description of sex acts that you might like to try. You are then asked to tell the group what you feel about masturbation. Now, we would find that horrifying, horrifying as adults, wouldn't we? If we were compelled to take part in this type of training. But in many British schools, that is now the case. In relationships and sex education classes, RSE classes, children can't walk out of the classroom. And it is a astonishing what is being taught. Now, the government's announced a review of this, but not, not a moment too soon. In 2019, the Department of Education introduced a compulsory RSE framework with the aim of helping children manage the challenges and opportunities of modern Britain. Now, says the article... Sex education has become an unregulated Wild West where, uncontest where contested ideas are taught as facts and kids are told that healthy relationships can include sadomasochism and sex in a school toilet. This is abuse and this is grooming and this is going on in schools. Parents need to be aware. 
Let's go to New Zealand. Take this from New Zealand. If you're concerned about the education system in this country, you should be even more appalled at what is now being introduced under the auspices of the new curriculum for years one to eight, the primary school years. This is a newish document from the Ministry of Education. It's called Relationships and Sexuality Education. I quote from it. In science, akonga, that's the word that the ministry now uses for students, it's tereo for learners, akonga can consider how biological sex has been constructed and measured over time and what this means in relation to people who have variations in sex characteristics. And then it goes on to say, our students, akonga, can consider variations in puberty, including the role of hormone blockers. I kid you not, this is for teaching up to the ages of 12 and 13. Hormone blockers are being discussed at primary school. I mean, what are we trying to do to our children? Hormone blockers being taught about at primary school. An article in the New Zealand Listener, and I've put, again put a link to all these articles, talks about a, a young Kiwi woman who uses the pseudonym Rachel, who started taking puberty blockers at age 14, prescribed testosterone, had her breasts removed at age 16, her womb removed at age 18, and by age 22 she was swamped by regret. She says, It was almost like I woke up from a weird dream. What was going on? Transgender ideology stopped making sense to me, and I thought, wow, with time and the right support, I could have lived happily as a masculine lesbian woman, she was wondering. But her medical treatments have left her permanently medically dependent on oestrogen. And she's going to live with the consequences of that surgery for all her life. In Scotland, our old leader, Nicola Sturgeon, defended children being asked. Listen to this. Michael Blackley from the Daily Mail. Thank you, First Minister. Um, last week it emerged that Pupils in Aberdeen were being asked a survey which had a question about their gender identity. Um, pupils in this age seven to nine category were asked to confirm if they, they identified as male, female, transgender, non-binary or other. Um, do you believe it's appropriate that that question is being asked of pupils at that age group? And do you think that it should be being asked by schools across Scotland as part of the health and well-being study? Well, look, these are health and well-being studies. It is for councils to decide uh, what they consider uh, appropriate. The fact of the matter is there will be very, very small numbers uh, of children um, who question aspects of their own health and well-being. And I don't think we should generally have a, you know, don't ask, don't tell policy when we are seeking to make sure that children and young people have the access to support services that they, they might need. Um, in the case of Aberdeen, as, as I understand it, um, this survey is because Aberdeen City Council withdrew from the National uh, Health and Wellbeing Survey. If I'm getting this wrong, I'll uh, be corrected. Um, but it was also, again, as I understand it, this uh, particular survey was first, and I'm not suggesting in any way I think it is wrong uh, what they're doing, but it was first circulated back in March 2022 uh, last year. Now, the reason I say that is because it was uh, presented as the SNP doing this. Of course, March 2022, Aberdeen City Council was under a, a Tory Labour 
administration. So I think I'm making the point here uh, that these are things that should not be party political uh, or you know political in that sense at all. These are issues that should be carefully considered and should be about the health and well-being of young people. Age seven to nine asked about if they're non-binary. Do you know, I think this is what school should be about. I'm sorry, I'm going to take a wee music break here. This is what you should be getting in Scotland. A red kettle, and inside there's a red clue. Check it out. It's a double-decker bus. And this can be the clue for only one song. And if you don't know this now, you will soon. It's your canny, shove your granny off a bus. You can't shove your granny off a bus. Learn the old songs like that. Maybe that, that would be politically incorrect. Um, you can shove your other granny off a bus. But why are kids learning this stuff? And then here's another cracker of a story from a posh school. It cost 20,000 quid a year to send your girls there. A teacher was forced to apologise after she said, guess what she said? She said, good morning girls. At a girls' school, and she was told by some of the pupils, not everyone here identifies as female. And they held a lunchtime protest and so on. And she was managed out by senior staff. But only after she was forced to publicly apologise. And then, what about drag queens? What, what's all this about? Why do children need to see drag queens? It's a good question, but it's the wrong question. The better question is why drag queens want to see children. Libs of TikTok posted a segment of children's television programming last week from Canada's national broadcaster. It's excruciating to watch. Why are you nervous? But I'm like, I've never met anyone that's not. I, don't, I can't really explain. Now, it's pretty clear from the video that the boy's natural instincts are telling him that this is wrong. Too bad the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation is trying to remove that survival trait. I'm a little bit nervous. I've never seen a drag queen before. <laughs> and what do you think? I think it's cool. It's great? Yeah. Why are you nervous? I don't know. It's just different, it's different and yeah. new. Yeah. The little girl reluctantly agrees that drag queens are cool. Well, of course she does. She's got a large man caricaturing a highly sexualized woman sitting in front of her, coaching her. Why are you nervous? What do you think? It's great? What's the kid supposed to say? Sorry, sir, I'm sure you're amazing when you run Naughty Numbers Drag Bingo at my parents' local pub, but I'm not sure I should be talking to you. Teaching children to lower their guard around strangers is dangerous. That this is unashamedly out in the open and sponsored by a government broadcaster 
That's wild. What's the end game here? Why would the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation want to introduce children to drag queens? Are they promoting career options? Is it to prepare kids for when they see drag queens on the subway? The better question is why the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation wants to introduce drag queens to children. That question needs to be asked, and urgently. The sexualization of children is now the most pressing issue in our... Now, the question being asked in this, uh, that was from News in Australia, is why do... It's not... Why do drag queens, that's the key, why do drag queens want to do their act in front of children? You know, you can argue for drag queens doing drag in pubs or whatever, but why in front of children? There's something deeply creepy about that. Now, I want to be very careful here. Of course, I'm not saying all drag queens are... Um, sexual predators against children, but some are. Like Rachel Queen Burton, an Australian trans TikTok star who's now been charged with eight child sex abuse offences in Adelaide. Or, think how confused our society is getting. In Dundee, uh, a woman, it says, it's not a woman, it's a man, called Dean and Stephen Anderson, has been banned from having any contact with children under the age of 18 because they were found guilty of downloading a toddler rape video on, on how to murder babies and have been allowed to walk free from court. But the courier, the Dundee courier, reported this as a woman having done this. It wasn't a woman. It was a man who then identified as a woman. It's such a mess. Oh, okay, again, look, this is where, this is what I want kids to learn um, this is a f one of my favourite bits of classical music, and certainly for children. The cat thought the bird is busy arguing. I'll just grab him. Stealthily, she crept towards him on her velvet paws. immediately flew up into the tree. The duck quacked angrily at the cat from the middle of the pond. of course, Peter and the Wolf. Okay, we, we have to come on to this very unpleasant subject of uh, pedophilia because the sexualization of children, this is where this is leading. Here is Peter Tatchell. I'd seen him write this. I hadn't heard him say this before. Here's Peter Tatchell. He told me when he was about 50 that he had had sex with a young man when he was nine years old. He said it was his choice. He said he wasn't pressured or manipulated. He said he had no regrets about that sexual experience. So my view is, that's what he's saying. It's his personal view, 
as an adult mature man looking back on his childhood. If he says that, who am I or you to dispute it? Now I accept that most sex involving young people is abusive and wrong. His view is perhaps exceptional, but it's not a view that should be dismissed and denied. If an adult person looks back on an early sexual experience and says they consented to it, they were not pressured, they were not harmed, they have no regrets or complaint, I think we should do the honest thing and accept their viewpoint. Now you see, he says that adults can consent to conversion therapy, but a nine-year-old can consent to sex. That's horrific. The United Nations, a new report written by the Internal Committee of Jurists, has argued that uh, sex is related to sex, drug use, HIV, sexual and reproductive health, homelessness and poverty should be decriminalised. And that's included in that pedophilia. It should be decriminalised. And then there was another report from Germany. For over 30 years, homeless children were routinely and knowingly sent by German authorities to live with pedophile foster parents. The Germans' authorities in Berlin condoned this practice, with male foster carers receiving a regular care allowance between 1969 and 2003. They knew they were. And High-ranking members of the Mac Planck Institute, Berlin's Free University, and the notorious Odenwald School in Hesse, West Germany, was at the centre of a major paedophile scandal. We're all involved in that. That's since been closed down. And here's the sickness. The assumption was that the paedophiles would be ideal foster parents because they would be more loving. Psychology professor Helmut Kentler, of which the report is named, held a leadership position at Berlin's Paediological Centre. We've been there. That's where we're going. I'm sorry, but I have to play this from Iron Maiden. He's walking like a dead man. If he had left, he would have crucified us all. Now he's standing on his last step. He thought oblivion will of the damned. He's walking like a dead man. If he had lived, he would have crucified us all. Watch his eyes burn you away. The sexual abuse of children. And I don't care if it's by uh, the church. Well, you care if it's by the church because I think it's worse. But it doesn't matter who. It is the most grotesque and ugly thing and should never be tolerated. Well, what about this? Listen to this. It's taken us a few years to get to this point. Mm-hmm. Surrogacy laws are really complex. In the UK, the Surrogacy Act was written in 1985. 
and since then social attitudes have changed enormously. Homosexuality was only decriminalised in Scotland in 1981. Technology has changed, so yes you can do surrogacy in the UK but it's a much more risky process for both the intended parents and the surrogate and the baby and it felt much safer and more secure for us to simply do it in America. Yeah, they're more set up for it, aren't they? They know what they're doing. It's a very professional way of doing things. Everyone out there, from the doctors to the surrogate to the egg donors. One of the things that I feel like was the hardest is the amount of choice that you get in the process. The first step is to you know, look at the egg donor and see who you would like that to be. So the egg donor is the genetic mother. That person's contributing 50% of the genetics towards your baby. Exactly, so you can get really kind of invested into like, right, let's look at all of her health, let's look at her parents' health, let's look at her grandparents' health, then actually let's go into the great-grandparents' health because God forbid that great-great-granddad died at 70 of a heart attack because, you know, that's, you know. So it's things like that. It just got really overwhelming, actually, in the end. With each donor, you get presented with a pack of information and the pack is extensive. You get lots of information about them. You then get this huge pack on genetics, so everybody, including us, all get a genetic screen to look for any genetic defects. And then there are the other aspects of it as well that you can't ignore. What the egg donor looks like, what her educational achievements were. Mm -hmm. Did she get into an Ivy League university? And actually you then get piled with massive amounts of information and like any parent, What's your number one priority? Achieving the best for your child. And you feel a huge amount of pressure that you have to make the right decision. And uh, this, the surrogate speed dating. That is that, that surrogacy. Dating, so that was on the BBC. And that's promoting the surrogacy of um, the swimmer Tom Daly and his partner buying children. They buy a woman's body and they buy the children. I saw someone write this. I thought this was very true. There's a casual and unashamed consumerism that flows through this entire piece and it's deeply discomforting. This decision to promote commercial surrogacy by the BBC looks like a bit of edgy boundary pushing similar to Channel 4's naked education. Well, the Law Commission is proposing to change the laws on surrogacy to make it easier. This is, an attack. this is an attack on women, and I, I think it's an attack on children as well. I tell you what, let's play another bit of music, because a lot of this is so heavy. This is a wonderful song I discovered from the Kinks called God's Children. Oh, we got 
But he didn't make the flowers, he didn't make the trees, he didn't make you and he didn't make me and he's got no right to turn us into machines, he's got no right at all because we are all God's children and he's got no right to change us. Oh, we've got to go back the way the good Lord made us all. Amen to that. All right, before we go, um, I wonder if you've seen this yet. Not sure if you know who I am, but I'm about to rule the world. Wow, uh, <laughs> yay. But there's one problem. There's a human, has a mustache, just like you. Do you think I know every human being with a mustache wearing an identical outfit with a hat with the letter of his first name on it? <laughs> because I don't. It's the Super Mario Brothers, which I'm sure lots of children will love. Um, the box office numbers have been released and it was, it has raised $377 million on its first week. And I think it's the most successful animated film opening, film opening ever. Uh, no, it's the second highest, actually. Um, and it's funny because the actor John Lugazia Amo has said people should boycott the movie because it wasn't inclusive enough or woke enough. As we keep saying, go woke, go broke, go normal, you'll do all right. Just a couple of bits of things. I want to say something about the death of George Verver, who was an amazing man, uh, founder of Operation Mobilization, writer of a wonderful book called Revolution of Love and Balance. A tremendous Christian who, I think through his work, the Lord has used to bring tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, maybe millions into the kingdom. And I'm sorry he's gone home. Glad for him, but sorry for us. But I'm going to leave you with this song from City of Light and Colin Buchanan. It's kind of a children's song, but it's for all of us, isn't it? Jesus said that if I thirst, I should come to him. No one else can satisfy, I should come to him. Jesus said, if I am weak, I should come to him. No one else can be my strength, I should come to him. 
a lot of the stuff we're looking at is quite fearful and it's a bit depressing. But Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world, red and yellow, black and white, all are precious in his sight. The Lord is good and faithful. He'll keep us day and night. Personally, if you've got kids, I would sit them down tonight or I would go up to their bed and after you've read to them, always read to your kids, pray with them and then play them this song and let them know the Lord is good and faithful. He will keep us day and night. We can always run to Jesus. Jesus, strong and kind. I was, uh, as we play out with this, I was greatly taken again by Luke 18. People were also bringing babies to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. When the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. But Jesus called the little children to him and said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Don't bring your children to drag queens. Bring them to Christ. Thanks to Peter for producing this. Thanks to you for all your comments. Please feel free to make them. Please do do a review uh, on Apple or wherever it is you get your podcast. That really helps. Uh, some of them have been great. Please do pass it on. Let others know. And uh, yeah, any criticisms and stuff, let me know as well. Uh, if you're interested, we've been doing a series on YouTube, on video. Every weekday for five minutes, we look at, we're going through Coffee and Colossians. We call it Coffee and Colossians. And we're going very slowly through the book of Colossians and reflecting on it in our lives. You're very welcome to, to join us. But God bless you and bye. Jesus said that if I fear I should come to him No one else can be my shield I should come to him For the Lord is good and faithful He will keep us day and night We can always run to Jesus Jesus strong and kind Jesus strong.